0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Today, we're going to talk about the way museums might get involved in food policy and obesity-related issues. We have two guests. Jeanette Ickevix is professor of epidemiology and public health and of psychology at Yale University. She is Director of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the School of Public Health at Yale, and also Director of CARE, Community Alliance for Research and Engagement. Our other guest is Dr. Marlene Schwartz. Marlene is Deputy Director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity, well known for her work nationally and internationally on schools, children, food, and food policy issues. So I'm delighted to have both of you here. So the Peabody Museum at Yale now has an exhibit open until uh, early December called Big Food. And uh, one doesn't uh, think necessarily of museums as a player or an actor in this way of getting the word out about food and food policy issues, but it turns out they certainly can be. And Jeanette, can you tell us about how this partnership between you and Marlene and the public health community and the museum came about?
0: Thanks, Kelly. You know, big food was uh, really, in a way, an accident of fate, a very happy accident. Uh, I call myself sort of the accidental curator. Uh, I was very pleased that the museum has gotten into a lot of health issues recently, particularly related to infectious disease, you know, big bugs and things that children just love at museums. And I met somebody there and I said, you know, it's fabulous Peabody's doing health, but it's not acute infection driving the human condition. It's chronic disease. And you should do a show on the evolution of obesity. And that's where it started. We then pulled together a curatorial team that included Marlene and Meg Orsieri from Rudd, the Chairman of Anthropology, um, as well as museum staff, who and we wrote that first concept sheet, got the okay to move forward and, uh, and it was then very early that we realized that we needed to broaden the perspective from just obesity which may or may not bring people into a museum to talking about food which we know brings everyone together.
1: And I know this has turned out to be very popular, and I'd like to come back in a few moments and talk about that in particular, especially the number of school children who seem to be coming through the the museum exhibit. Uh, Marlene, I know that the content of this uh, could have been anything because you started with a blank slate. How did you make decisions about what sort of things should go in Big Food? And then let's talk about what the specific exhibits look like.
2: So one of the things that was really important to us is we wanted to strike a balance between focusing on what individuals can do and the concept of personal responsibility and looking at the environment and what sorts of policy and societal changes need to happen. So we kind of went back and forth between, for example, showing what the average American eats in a year, which you see through the quarter of food as you walk into the museum, to a lot of emphasis on the food industry and practices like marketing to children, things like the amount of added sugar that is in a lot of beverages that are marketed to kids and things like that. So we wanted to really give people a sense of both what is out there in the environment and then how we are reacting to it. And then really at the end, wanted to give people some concrete ideas of things that they could do to try to move things forward. So we asked people to make pledges about things they can do for themselves, for their families and their communities.
0: And I just want to add a couple of things. One is, um, let's talk about the, the other half of the title, which is Big Food, Health, Culture, and the Evolution of Eating. And so in addition um, to the many things that Marlene's talked about, there's a big component of the health consequences as well, uh, both physical health consequences and some mental health consequences. And I have been so thrilled with the positive response to the exhibition. Uh, and I think that part of that is because we do take a broad perspective, and it is not all about individual choice. But we recognize the how multifaceted the determinants are, and uh, I, I, it seems that the public is really responding to that and resonating to that, and not feeling um, you know sort of personally attacked, but really engaged in the conversation because they can engage in the many aspects that may interest them. And
1: well, it's very helpful to get a conceptual perspective of what guided you in setting this up. Let's talk about the execution of the principle and what sort of things are in the exhibit itself. Maybe each of you could give a few examples of things people will see or interact with once they go in. Marlene, can you give a few examples?
2: Sure. Well, one thing that actually I think was unique about this exhibit is we also addressed the issue of weight bias and discrimination. So we do have a panel that talks about the different ways in which overweight individuals experience bias in their lives. And it was important to us to have that as part of the exhibit. And then I would say the two parts that um, I was most excited about. One was we created a replica of a teenager's bedroom and we show um, a young person lying in bed with a remote control and we show the television and the computer and provide a lot of information about the different ways in which children are marketed to even in their own homes. And then the second thing that I was really excited about that was sort of a outgrowth of our research at the Rudd Center was the sugary drink um, spoonfuls of sugar cabinet, where basically we took about 20 different common beverages and then took spoonfuls of sugar and sort of lined them up vertically above the container so you could actually see how much sugar. And it seems to me, from the feedback I've gotten, that that's really um, striking to people, that they don't realize how much sugar is in a lot of the beverages that they consume regularly.
1: And what, what, more or less, what was the range of sugar in some of these beverages, the number of teaspoons?
2: Well, we have, I think it had a lot to do with the size of the container, but I know there was an Arizona iced tea that's a large container that I think had over 20. Um, 23 and, to be exact. Okay. And then um, there were ones like the small um, Capri Suns, which tend to be in smaller containers, but still had, I think, five or six um, teaspoons of sugar. So people are surprised because they don't realize how much added sugar are in those beverages.
1: Okay. Jeanette, can you give us a few examples of other things that are in the exhibit? There are quite a number of, of, of uh, different features of the exhibit.
2: Yeah, the I
0: think it's it's very visually stimulating uh, in, in a great way, I think. Uh, Marlene already mentioned a bit the quarter of food. Uh, when you first walk in, uh, as you come into the museum, you are faced with 12-foot walls on either side that go up about 8 or 10 feet high and based on data from the U.S. Census Bureau is the amount of food that an average uh, American purchases in a year and these are real foodstuffs as well as some curated foodstuffs and they're all presented to scale so you'll see on the left hand side 45, 46 gallons of soda adjacent to only 22 gallons of milk because in fact We purchase twice as much soda as milk. You also see 170 pounds of meat compared to just about 16 pounds of fish. Um, So this corridor is quite stunning. 36 pounds of French fries, big hunk of cheese, lots of bread and snack foods and so forth. Um, Along with, we should mention, some fruits and vegetables that are consumed as well. After you walk through the corridor, there is a short film that is available online at the Peabody Museum as well as at the Rudd and Care websites that was produced by uh, Emmy-nominated filmmaker Ann Prum. And that provides a nice overview. From there, we do talk historically a bit about um, hunter-gatherers and uh, a contemporary hunter-gatherer society in Paraguay, the Aceh and that provides an opportunity to really discuss issues not just of food but the energy that goes into getting food or that did go into getting food versus the calling out for a pizza or you know going through the drive through
1: and i know you tried to you tried very hard to make it interactive and there are a couple of things particularly that caught my attention about this it would be interesting for both of you to talk about this but marlene i know there are places where there are food labels and behind the door shows the product. Explain the why you did that.
2: So here um, we conceptualized almost like a vending machine, this sort of big four-sided um, structure where we wanted to really illustrate in a concrete way how difficult it is to know what you're eating if you just look at the food label. Because with the amount of processing of a lot of snack foods in our country, the labels are, are indistinguishable because it's just a whole bunch of chemical names and trans fats and high fructose corn syrup. And so, lots,
1: lots of things in these foods. Right. It's not like two or three ingredients. Dozens
2: of ingredients. So um, in order to make that point and to make it more fun, we created this, you know, sort of machine where there is a little door and on the outside of the door is the Nutrition Facts label that you would see on the package. And the idea is you look at that and you try to guess what's inside. And then you open the door and you actually will see the package. So that was a lot of fun to put together. And there's some in there that are straightforward, you know, where it's peaches and it's a little container of peaches. But then there are other ones you <laughs> Um, that are really quite difficult and we've even had some nutritionists come through who can't figure out what's inside.
1: It's very striking.
2: And kids love it, of course, and we all love it because there is this opportunity, as you say,
0: to be interactive, really hands-on. You read the label, you put your hand on the knob, you know, you open the door and you see the package. There's another place in the exhibition where we use the same uh, kind of simple technology and that's in a section called Portion Distortion. We know, of course, that portion sizes have gotten tremendous um, just as obesity has skyrocketed in the last 30 years so to have portion sizes and so we have another section with doors that can be opened and above each of those doors is common household objects like a golf ball a pair of dice a deck of cards a hockey puck and so forth and under each door is the portion that really goes with each of those objects, of course, the portion size being much smaller than we would anticipate. So, for instance, uh, cheese—really, a portion of cheese—is really intended to be uh, two or three dice. Um, your meat or fish is meant to be the size of a deck of cards, um, not the size of, you know, a textbook.
1: Right. You know, another another example of it's so interesting to be at that exhibit and watch people interacting with these things as i've done and i know you have as well and there's one in particular marlene a, a replica of of a blob of fat uh explain what that's all about
2: so we had um gotten a, basically a rubber representation of five pounds of fat And we basically just put it in a plastic box that you can reach in and touch. And it's really very surprising to people how big it is, because you don't think of five pounds as being that much fat. Um, And plus, it does give the kids something to kind of reach in and squeeze, and it does get quite an emotional reaction when kids do it.
1: No, it's so interesting. I, I
2: also wanted to add one of the things that was actually really fun about working on this exhibit as a researcher was trying to come up with ways of representing research that's exciting and interesting and can hold the attention of a ten-year-old. Um, so one study that we represented was a project done by Brian Wansink, who's a professor at Cornell, where he had looked at the serving sizes and recipes for um, from The Joy of Cooking over the past several decades. And so there is a section where we actually show a recipe for chili, both from you know sort of I don't know nineteen seventy years ago, 19... yeah, nineteen thirty six and two.
0: 2006.
2: Right. And so we show the two copies of The Joy of Cooking, and then we show the ingredients and, and the differences in terms of the calories. And it's amazing that the very same recipe you know, that many years ago had beans in it and less meat, and the serving sizes were smaller, and as a consequence, the calories are substantially bigger. And so it just was kind of a fun way to try to represent this idea. That Even in subtle ways like through recipes in a cookbook our society has really grown accustomed to much more calorie dense and larger portions
1: You know, it's so interesting that uh, the 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 number of oh my god type things that exist in this exhibit are really quite striking because one thing after another you see, and it's surprising, amazing, interactive in some engaging way. So I think the exhibit's terrific in that regard. Let's talk a little bit about what the response has been. Jeanette, can you tell us about how the um, the museum traffic has been and whether the museum seems happy with the way this exhibit has gone?
0: Uh, I think the museum is thrilled. Um, the We had a record breaking march. Uh, in over a decade. They hadn't seen that much foot traffic through the museum since um, the famed uh, Machu Picchu exhibit about ten years ago. More than 50,000 people have been through the exhibition, including many, many school groups, as you mentioned. In a
1: pretty short period of time. In a
0: short period of time. We opened in February, and we'll be running through December 2nd of this year. We expect, if if we are able to maintain, and I expect that we will, um, kind of high levels of attendance and maybe continued record-breaking attendance, somewhere between 150,000 and 200,000 people. And that's here in our small city of New Haven.
1: Mm, Very impressive. Now, I I know one thing that you tried to do um, as much as possible was to make this interesting and engaging for children. Marlene, what's the rationale for? doing something like that?
2: Well, I think that, first of all, the Peabody is a museum that really appeals to families because of the dinosaurs. It has always been a place in the community where people like to go with their kids. And so that's one reason, because it was fitting with the mission of the Peabody. But the second is that I really feel like in order to change the way that we all interact with food and view food, we need to start early. And so children we already know are being bombarded by messages from the food industry trying to convince them what good foods are and how much they should be eating. And so I really wanted this to provide a fun, um, but also, you know, pretty um, important message for kids about how to interact with food and how to understand some of the ways in which food is being marketed to them. And to that, I'll add a couple
0: of things. One, uh, another part which we haven't, we haven't talked about yet, um, but near and dear to my heart in public health, and I know to both of you as well, is, uh, again, thinking about how do we appeal to children in relation to talking about the health consequences, which can which are quite serious. And so we, um, we contacted the Department of Pathology and got organs. We got a healthy liver and a fatty liver and a healthy kidney and a nephrotic kidney and cross-sections of the heart uh, and the lungs. And You know, had just the right gross factor for uh, for a museum like the Peabody as well, but also very engaging uh, in you know really being able to see quite visually that the liver quadruples in size as a function of the fat cells actually replacing the liver cells, and in contrast, the kidneys shrink because uh, the metabolic changes associated with obesity cause those kidney cells to die. And what's been amazing, um, getting back also to the response, has been the number of emails that I've received from some people I know, but also perfect strangers talking about how the exhibition has changed their lives, that their children are making choices based on what they're seeing, that the parents are making choices, saying, you know, Arizona never again, uh, as well as some of the other sugar-sweetened beverages. People are more aware of portion size. They're making commitments uh, to change and we believe they're following through on those.
1: So let's, this exhibit, which has had the powerful effects that you're talking about on the people who have been through, uh, came about more or less as a historic accident. Jeanette, you just happened to have a conversation with somebody, teamed up with Marlene and other people at Rudd and other people from Yale and put together this dynamite phenomenon, if you will. Um, Let's talk about how it might spread and whether this same uh, phenomenon might be replicated in other places. So if you uh, if somebody's listening to this from another city and they have a museum nearby and would like the museum to take on an issue like this, what would you suggest they do?
0: Well, they can definitely contact me at jeannette.icavix at yale.edu or hop on the CARE website. There have been museums around the country that have expressed some interest and we do hope that after it closes here in December that it can travel to one or more additional cities. We worked hard to make it engaging and entertaining and fun and educational and these issues are of such critical importance we want to see the messages um, continue to to flow we think that uh, big food can be um, a lot bigger than peabody and new haven though this will always be its home base Mm -hmm. part of the issue is of course funding as it always is and i would be remiss if i didn't mention the anthem foundation as the presenting sponsor along with the donahue foundation and others and so if you are interested, please contact us. There may be different ways to do it. There's, of course, the exhibition in total, including the vending machine and the organs and the cookbooks. Um, but there's also the the informational panels, which will be much easier to transmit um, electronically. Okay. Is otherwise. any of
1: this available on the Peabody website?
0: There are pieces of it. Uh, the film is there, as well as some of the interactive kiosks. So we mm-hmm. did develop a couple of games. Those are all available online at the moment. And uh, of course, some of the general material is. But we, you know, this is about bringing evidence to action, as we say at CARE, mm-hmm. and in general, giving the science away. And what better place than a museum? I mean, our museum here, reaching, we hope, up to 200,000 people. But there are hundreds of millions of people around the nation that go to museums every year. And so to be able to have um, uh, the, the exhibition in its entirety, but also even components to get out to museums and also to schools and other community groups, I think we would be committed to that.
1: So Marlene, for the last word, um, it sounds like the, the traffic, the enthusiasm, Um, Everything about this has been really good. It's had an educational impact. It's been good for the public health community and good for the museum as well, it sounds like. So if somebody out there is listening and want to just get in touch with the museum and say, can you do this too, or could you have this travel to our place? Do you think their museum directors would be responsive?
2: I think that the museum directors would be responsive. I think especially um, museums that have sort of children and families as their focus, um, realize that obesity and poor diet is such a significant problem right now and they want to be relevant. I know even part of the Let's Move initiative that Michelle Obama has includes a museum component. And so I would encourage people who have museums in their community Um, to go ahead and get in touch with them and and talk about this because my sense is that museums really see themselves as a place to educate their own community and to keep it exciting and to keep it new. And this really has proven to be um, a great opportunity for the museum to provide that information for their community.
1: Well, this is a very exciting development in the field, and I'm I'm grateful for the contribution you both have made to this. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. you. Our guests were Dr. Jeanette Ikovics and Dr. Marlene Schwartz, curator and co-curator and public health experts uh, for the Peabody Museum uh, in New Haven's uh, Big Food exhibit. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. You'll find information about this particular museum exhibit, but a lot of other information on food policy issues as well. Thank you.